0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Josa. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting this podcast. And this episode is with Robert Falconer. He is an internal family systems therapist. He's a teacher and a writer. And he came on the podcast to talk about spirit possessions, uh, entities, uh, spirit entities that attach to, to a person's body. And it's, you know, if, if you're, you know, from a religious perspective, we also call this demonic possessions. Um, this can also refer to folks that have um, uh, spirit guides or have a deceased loved one or someone that has gone on to the other side, um, connect with them and guide them. Uh, but he primarily works with spirit possessions that are difficult for a person that make their life difficult that that have no other intention for them but to to hurt and destroy the person that they have attached to so robert goes into uh, just a lot of detailed information on what that looks like how he helps folks uh, release these burdens um, he calls them ub's it uh, stands for unattached burdens And he also talks about legacy burdens, which refers to beliefs, energies, and emotions that are transferred across generations. So if you've heard the term generational trauma or generational wounds or generational curses, this is what legacy burdens refers to uh, from an internal family systems approach. To learn more about Robert, check out his website, which I have included in the show notes. He also wrote a book about this and it's available on Amazon and also in the show notes, if you, if you want to go directly there. Uh, Just a brief disclaimer, this podcast episode does not treat or diagnose any physical or mental health condition. This episode does not substitute for healthcare or mental health services of any kind. And before we go into the actual episode, I want to share with you all that a couple months ago, I self published a book titled inner child meditation journal, a 21 day guide to connect with your inner child daily. And this journal covers the stages of development and it helps you connect with your inner child across these stages. And it's a journal, so it it has space for you to write insights and and just anything that came through for you while doing a meditation uh, with your inner child. And this is available on Amazon. I included the show notes. I would love if you can support this podcast through purchasing this book. And also, if you want to nominate yourself or anyone to be on the podcast, feel free to send me an email. I have included my email address in the show notes as well. So without further ado, here's my interview with Robert Faulkner. Take a listen. Welcome, Bob, to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Good to be here. Yes. So to get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and the healing work that you do?
1: Okay, that could be a very long story. Um, I started working with trauma because I have a huge trauma history. I was sexually and physically abused throughout my childhood. Mom was in mental institutions. My brother was a suicide. My father was murdered. So obviously I focused on trauma for most of my life. And then, and most recently, uh, with IFS, Internal Family Systems, the method created by Richard Schwartz. I've been focused on that primarily for about a decade. And more recently, I've been focused on the others within us, energies that get into us that are not part of who we are and didn't come from our own personal lifetime. And uh, that's mainly what I've been working on.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's how I came across your, your work through through your book. Your book that I have I have right here. The others within us. Yeah. And getting getting through it. It's there's a lot of information, but it's wonderful. I love it. So thorough. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I felt, you know, it's sort of an odd subject and most people just sort of go, You've been living in California too long, Bob <laughs> You know. <laughs> so I felt I had to produce a great deal of academic, rational, scientific evidence that this kind of stuff happens. And yeah. It's important in people's psychological and spiritual lives.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think for, for me, and you know, I grew up with this with, with these concepts and spirituality and entity. So for me, it just feels very normal. Your perspective is unique in the sense that it ties in, you know, the psychotherapy component, the science component. And for me as a psychotherapist myself, it's been it's been a, a bridge, you know, into my the parts of me my, in my personal life in my spirituality and my beliefs with my mental health practice. So, so yeah, so it's been, it's been wonderful in you know, learning about your work, but you know, before we get started, as you mentioned, IFS internal family systems, I was wondering if you can give the folks that are listening, that are not familiar with, with this approach, just a brief overview on, on IFS and how it, it looks at trauma or how it helps others.
1: Okay. Uh, Internal family systems was created or discovered by uh, Dr. Richard Schwartz just a little over 40 years ago now. And it's basically a parts work model of the mind. We are not like a tennis player. We're much more like a basketball team or a baseball team. We're a bunch of relatively independent parts. Some people call them sub personalities. And healing does not look like putting all of these in a blender and mushing them all together into one you know uniform soup. It, it's much more like getting an orchestra to play well together, or converting an internal civil war into a choir or orchestra or team that functions well together. Just like we need all our different organs, our heart, our liver, our lungs, all of that, we need all of our different parts. They do different things. And that's the the multiplicity, multiplicity of mind, I would say, is the big motto there. And also in Dick's work, he discovered something he calls the self with a capital S, which is it's the witness inside of us. It's the one who, who sees and can relate to all the parts. And healing consists in getting that self into a leadership position and and nurturing the relationships between that self and all the parts.
0: Okay, wonderful, thank you. And how did you get into, so before we go into UBs and and unattached burdens, how did this start for you? How did you, your interest in this specific part of IFS, how did this get started?
1: 10, 12 years ago now, I was teaching IFS in um, supervising a group and I'd heard that there were these energies in people in IFS. We used to call them critters, but now we call them UBs, unattached burdens. Uh, I'd heard about them, but I hadn't really run into it. And with this one woman, she had this presence in her that looked like a bloodshot eyeball. And it kept saying the nastiest things you can imagine. You know, you're horrible, you're disgusting, just like that all the time, all the time, all the time. And inner critics are a very common part, and, but they always have a good intention. They're trying to help the person get better. Or the one in this woman did not have that at all. It was just trying to destroy her. And we, we worked with it, realized it wasn't a part. I was able to help her get it out of her system and send it away. And on the way home from that workshop where I had been training her, She sent me these emails that at first were quite frightening because I thought she was having a manic episode. She was saying, Oh, the world looks different. You know, I can, I can see the light, you know, new colors. And I thought, Oh, I, and then she sent me an email that changed my life. She said, Bob, 20, 30 years ago, when I was a teenager, I tried to kill myself several times and I was locked up in mental institutions several times. And when I tried to tell anyone about the non human inside me back then, they gave me a lecture shock and injected me with big drugs. And I've followed this woman ever since then, and she continues to see that getting that energy out of her as a life changing experience. I really wanted to ignore this because it did not fit in my worldview at all. You know, this can't happen. I'll just pretend that didn't happen. But when she said, back then they gave me electroshock, you're the first human to ever believe me, you have changed my life. I couldn't ignore that. You know, so I got really interested. Most therapists don't like dealing with this stuff. It's too weird. So I got a lot of referrals and that started the snowball rolling down the mountainside.
0: Yeah. So when when I think of UBs, I, and I'm sure you hear this a lot, you automatically think of demonic possessions or negative energies or entities that enter our, you know, our, our mind or spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is that what you mean when you, when you, when you talk about UBs um, or is it less, I know that when we, when we think of demonic possessions or spirit possessions, it, there's always that religious um, you know, programming that, that we, that we have, but how do you, how would you describe it from a non-religious <laughs> tone or perspective? Yeah.
1: Yeah, good, good question. Um, first thing is William James's idea of radical pragmatism. I don't know what these things are. <laughs> I have no idea, really. I mean, I have a lot of ideas, but I don't know. But I can know how to help people who have these kinds of experiences. That is something I can actually learn and gain some real expertise in. So with that idea of radical pragmatism, I don't try and figure out what these are. I just try and figure out pe- how to help people who are suffering with experiences like this. Tanya Lerman, mm-hmm. the great anthropologist, has a wonderful phrase, I think. She calls it spiritual presence experiences. You know, it doesn't, who knows what they are? We don't, but people have these kinds of experiences. And I think something we can say about this, quite certainly, there seems to be, there is a basic biopsychological dynamic that we have records of in pretty much every culture we we have any knowledge of in every era of history. And this dynamic can have huge impact for evil or for good in the person's life. The metaphor most often used to describe this is spirit possession or spirit content. But it's so pervasive and it's so powerful in people's lives, it deserves study. It's eminently mm. worthy of study, even though we don't really know what it is yet.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I I think that a lot of therapists or just, I mean, people in general, we we, we're scared you know we think of the of spirit possessions we get scared um even if there's um you know for me like, like I said I kind of grew up with this idea so even when I've had clients that I I felt there's something negative going on that that was how I, I would interpret it there's something negative going on that has nothing to do with their mental health but I would I wouldn't I would never engage in that part or address it um, but how you know for you is it something that you were able to work through that fear or you've never really experienced that fear of that other world or spirits in in that sense
1: oh i experienced fear there there is one of the rules from ifs about this that's very very valuable these things only get power when they can scare us when we're no longer scared of them they lose all power Now, that sounds simple and easy, but they're really, really good at scaring us. They tend to know just what images to put into our mind to make us quiver. (laughs) So they actually, I actually think they help a lot of clients discover all their deep fears so that they can, the client can work with all their deep fears. So in a sense, it's sort of like ants in the kitchen. You know, ants are not trying to help you out, obviously, but they always show you right where you spilled the food. So you can can work with these things in in that
0: same way. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, when it comes to to someone being affected by this, how does this even happen, you know, from your perspective and the work, the research that you've done, um, what are some of the things or experiences that leave us more vulnerable to to these entities?
1: Yeah, good question. I wanna say, you know, uh, Richard Dawkins is a, a, British biologist, who's one—he's—he's a, he's a very, very forceful atheist. He hates spirituality, hates, hates, <laughs> and he debates people all the time, and he's devastating because he's brilliant. But he came up with this theory of memeplexes, memes, and memeplexes, and he mm-hmm. says they're ideas, but they function like viruses of the mind. They can get into your mind. They can replicate and reproduce inside your mind. And then they get contagion to other people from you. And here is a 100% scientific, hardcore explanation for this kind of phenomenon.
0: Mm, OK. So you, don't,
1: you don't need to get spiritual to, yeah. to work with this at all.
0: OK. I Do you feel that like? any with, with trauma and being in, in, in an environment where there's that level of negativity do you think it exposes our our energy our, our soul to that yep
1: definitely definitely and one of the really sad things uh one of the horrible things about this field mm-hmm. is that rape almost seems to inject them into people because mm. that you know the there's that incredible violation of the person. And so a lot of sexual abuse and rape survivors have these kind of energies in them. The Dick used to think that these things get in by promising power to the powerless, always. Like some powerless little child, this thing comes along and, well, I am a great big powerful, blah, 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 blah. And so the child says, okay, come in, help me. I need help, I need help. I also think they promise, companionship to the abandoned child mm. so abandonment helplessness another thing that's quite surprising or is quite surprising to me these things very get very often get in during anesthesia kids who've had early operations you know had surgical procedures with general anesthesia when they were very young they often get the have this kind of experience it's i I don't know this yet, you know, I don't, but maybe anytime we're sort of out of our bodies, it makes a, it makes a, an opening for these kinds of external energies, viruses of the mind, demons, whatever you want to call them to get in. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. Do you think psychedelics or because I know right now there's, a, there's that big, um, you know, uh, focus on psychedelic treatment for PTSD and trauma, and, and you know, and people use it recreationally and all that. But do you think doing that or experimenting with psychedelics, trying it out? Do you think that can allow or open us up be, be more vulnerable? Definitely.
1: I have. This is another one of my major in, uh, areas of interest these days is psychedelic assisted internal family systems, and I, I work a lot training people and working with psychedelic medicines. There have been several major studies, especially the ones done by John Hopkins University, the Roland Griffiths program, who studied psychedelic DMT containing psychedelic experiences. Something like 50, 60% of the people who have those high-level DMT experiences experience some kind of intelligent entity now the interesting thing is these are overwhelmingly positive the most common uh words used to describe them are helper guide healer all kinds of stuff like that and there are negative ones too but it definitely seems to uh the psychedelic experience seems to open people up to experiencing things like this
0: yeah, yeah, uh, and what, what about? So they're mostly positive. Um, but what about the? Do you think that with a negative? Because you know a lot of folks describe not in assisted therapy or assisted psychedelic treatment, but more when it's um, like using, um, like going to a group commu- uh, community using ay- ayahuasca, for example, mm-hmm. and then coming back feeling well i've had clients where they say that they they remember things that they didn't that they had you know blocked out um so it came to their awareness but then they deteriorated significantly after um it's almost like it opens you up but it doesn't and like you said maybe things get in there in your energy field yeah so i think that's been my my concern and maybe i just you know with, with that, or maybe I just don't know enough about it, but yeah, it's, it seems like a lot of folks also have very negative effects or the aftermath.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, and that is a big concern. And ayahuasca, very, very many people who do ayahuasca meet, quote, the spirit of ayahuasca herself, mother ayahuasca, and they talk to her, and this is a very meaningful, powerful experience for them. However, Ayahuasca is almost always done in groups. And so the environment is not, you know, if if someone's doing this in a therapeutic environment, they're there alone with a the therapist, or even better, two therapists. It's very protected, very safe. In groups, there's all sorts of big energies moving around the room. And I think there are a lot of people doing this in less than responsible ways. And I've I've also, like you, picked up the pieces uh, for clients who've had difficult psychedelic experiences. So yeah, it it is a concern, but I think the vast majority of the psychedelic experiences are positive.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, I am wondering about uh, legacy burdens, and I know for folks that maybe are not too familiar with IFS but have heard of legacy burdens, in now listening listening to you about UBS, I'm wondering if you can describe what are the what would be the difference because legacy burdens are also there's also an energetic component to it. Mm-hmm. Um, what would how would you describe the the difference? How can we tell them apart?
1: Okay, that's a great question. It doesn't necessarily matter. What matters is there's something in the person's system that doesn't come. From their own personal lifetime. A legacy burden is something that's inherited from our ancestors, that's been passed down. Now, one advantage of legacy burdens is there's hard scientific evidence that these things exist. There is no doubt about this anymore. I mean, uh, Rachel Yehuda uh, did all this work with Holocaust survivors, and it is clear there's a very distinctive syndrome somehow some energy gets passed down generation after generation and has powerful effects on these people's lives it even changes their neurochemistry not only that but there's also been a whole bunch of animal experiments and you know i think nowadays things aren't considered real until until you can make them happen in rats (laughs) well legacy burdens have passed the rat test I'm just going to go into this one experiment real briefly, the Diaz wrestler experiment. And it's wrestler with an R, not a W. Diaz uh, was a Hispanic man from Atlanta, Georgia, got his PhD at Emory, and he started noticing that in his community where he came up, addictions and mental illness seemed to run in families. And he thought, well, I wonder if there's something more to this than just you know just you know dysfunctional people messing up their Mm -hmm. kids so he designed what i think is a brilliant experiment he took male rats and exposed them to a pleasant smell it's something like almonds or cherry blossoms and he paired that with a shock until the male rats had a startle response just to the smell he took semen from the male rat and impregnated a female rat who had never met the male rat and never been exposed to that smell in any way. And then when that female rat had pups, babies, when they were old enough, they would expose these babies to the same smell. And they had the startle response. Mm. That was considered impossible. (laughs) When I was in college, we were told only idiots would believe something like that. But it happens. That's legacy burdens. Experiences your ancestors had can have profound effects on who you are. Mm -hmm. And there's all sorts of other experiments now, and it goes on for many, many generations, you know? So this is real, and it's really, I think it's really helpful because even the most skeptical person, you know, there's the whole field of epigenetics now. So there's lots and lots of science around this things that didn't happen in our lives can affect us profoundly. So legacy burdens are real, and they're, they're different from unattached burdens because they come through our family. And unattached burdens, we don't know where they came from. Usually with a client, I won't even try and distinguish the two. because mm-hmm. Basically, we're helping them. Sometimes with legacy burdens, we want to pass it back up through the ancestors. To help the whole lineage heal, that's the one difference. Sometimes we'll do that, but it's it's not it's not really so important there.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. I think it makes it really clear, and that's a fascinating study. I'm going to have to read read up on that. Uh, I I was wondering um, just to shift yours a little bit uh, because this is something that I. I struggle with with thinking I think I have a lot of fear of negative entities and negativity in that sense um so I wear like you know amulets and crystals and I you know I do all the things (laughs) and I'm not using you know I'm not casting out UVs or anything (laughs) in that sense I'm not helping patients with that however um but I you know I I I believe in it and and it's a concern of mine I'm wondering what do you do to energetically or emotionally prepare yourself to go into a session knowing that, that this is something that is happening for the, for this client. Okay.
1: Yeah. And I get, I get a lot of these clients because, you know, other therapists don't want to deal with this at all. They go, Oh, go to Bob, go to Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Um, First thing is I have like a, a daily, very regular, practice of checking in with all my own parts, and checking in checking in with spirituality and praying and meditating. And I spend a lot of time on that sort of baseline stuff. So I feel I'm fairly, you know, I think that's the real, self, real safety, is to be really deeply connected to my own spiritual core. And then I feel, of course, I'm not perfect in that, but I do my best. Uh, I think that's really the basic safety. When we're not afraid of them, when we're connected to who we are, we're safe. But that's you know, that's a little hard. <laughs> there are lots of other. A lot of people use scent. I know. I know this guy who's a Puerto Rican uh, magician. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce this word. Curanderno.
0: Curandero. huh
1: yeah. 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 They use this stuff. Agua de Florida. Florida water, mm-hmm. you know
0: yeah, that
1: scent? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and you know he's when he's working he splashes it all over his face and and I, mm. I've got a handkerchief with some of that on it. I like that smell, and I often use sage, sage myself, sage the house. And so smells I like. There's a, a me- I don't like meditations that are creating boundaries. You know, all these mm. people are trying to fortify themselves and oh, I'm gonna create big boundaries and that's gonna keep me safe. I think, I mean, some people it's good for, I think it's not great. First of all, if you create boundaries and a fortress, that sort of invites in attack. You know, it's uh, like, <laughs> also, it was challenging. Of, yeah, yeah, it mm-hmm. wastes a lot of energy, a lot of precious life force and energy is going into something that's defensive. And it creates a certain rigidity around who you are. So I'm not a fan of that. There's another way that I work with and train people in, and I actually got it from a guy named William Baldwin, who's been dead quite a while now, but I've developed it. Some you basically focus inwards. You know, it's a meditative process. Mm -hmm. To really do it would take a half hour. You just focus inwards and notice inside you how you experience the center of your own life force usually people see light or they might feel warmth or or resonance or somewhere in their body and then you just focus on that deeply open all your senses to it and it starts expanding there seems to be a rule in the inner subjective world that what you focus on expands (laughs) you know and you just watch that and let it expand through your whole body. And you notice any objects or dark areas or congestions, you know, and you let it go all the way to your skin. And then you let it go poof, and go out a couple feet all around you. And you notice it. Is there anything moving in this space around me? What's, you know, you know, and you can use that to map any any like weak or hollow places in your energy field. And then you can come back and work with those. But if you do this exercise frequently, it first, it'll take you 20, 30 minutes to really go through it. But if you keep doing it, it becomes something that's very easy and quick and you can do it in a few breaths. I think this is a much better way to protect yourself rather than try and create this rigid boundary around the edge because this focusing in on your own life force serves you whether or not you're being attacked, you know, it's good for you. It, and also it feels really good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's a sense, um, it sends a message or conveys a message of empowerment and and self-assurance and confidence, which is, for what I understand, a lot of times um, negative entities um, need that, you know, they they, they, they to, to not, i guess i don't know i think i'm trying to think of the word to not attack <laughs> per se but yeah. to respect the work that you're doing you know it's almost like okay this is um this is someone that knows or is self-assured they know themselves and they are sure who they are
1: yeah there's no hole for them to get into
0: absolutely that that leads to the uh, the part of your the title of your book the poorest mind i thought that was such an interesting concept um and I know you have a definition that you, you talk about in the book. And I was just wondering, And you said the a hole to get into. Is that is that what you mean with a porous mind? And that we we I mean, basically, we, we're naturally. That's just how we're created to to have these openings.
1: I. I think Dick and IFS. You know, he got this idea of multiplicity of mind, which shows up in many, many, many other places. I mean, it's not new. Plato, 2,500 years ago, had a multiple model of mind. It's it's a very old, ancient idea. And Dick also has this idea of self, which is also ancient. I think there's another step here. Mind is also porous. We are not isolated individual things. Tanya Luhrmann, the great anthropologist says in the West, we have this thing she calls the citadel model of mind. And she studies spirituality and psychosis all over the world, spirituality and mental health. And she says, we get worse results than many places who have no money and no resources do with psychosis because we have this really rigid model of who we are. And if you think about it for a minute, that rigid model looks strong and tough, but if some thought comes in that doesn't feel like yours, it's actually brittle and it can shatter. Whereas if you realize you're porous and you know, you're know you flexible and things don't upset you so much. Mm-hmm. I love William James, I'm gonna go back to him. He had this image of who we are. He said, we're all like islands in the sea. We appear to be very separate, but we're all from the same sea floor. You know, people like Thich Han, many spiritual traditions, especially he's so clear about interbeing, we only exist through each other. Daniel hmm. Siegel, the great uh, neuroscientist and medical doctor at UCLA, he talks about, uh, you know, he talks about this a lot, he talks about the the neurobiology of we mm-hmm. and, and how, you know, most of the time, the way we regulate our own internal emotional states is by our relationships with other people. We don't do it inside <laughs> and this is so obvious with a mother, with an infant, mm-hmm. the mind, even the emotions is, is between them. It's not contained in this bony little thing up here you know, so I really believe in a very radical way, mind is porous. It's not some private, isolated little thing here. Yeah. What was it? Thich Nhat Hanh said, we inter are. <laughs> you know? mm. So yeah. that's what I think this kind of work
0: leads to. Yeah, so beautiful. Thank you for that. And how was this received in terms of I, I know you know, this was something that started within the IFS, but with um, just in general in the IFS community, how has this been welcomed or received or accepted, (laughs) you know, the the, the specifically unattached burdens?
1: Well, you know, Dick knew about this stuff, but for a long time, he wouldn't teach about it except to the level threes. He said, we don't want to talk one time there was this funny thing that happened quite a few years ago. I was helping a lead trainer in one of these trainings, and he said, It's two things we don't want to talk about uh, to these beginners. Unattached burdens and legacy burdens. So we're not going to talk about those. So the very first demo he gets where he does a demonstration client in front of the whole big group, it's a woman with an unattached burden and a legacy <laughs> burden. <laughs> <laughs> of
0: course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah <laughs>
1: but anyway so we weren't supposed to talk about this until the advanced students because dick was afraid ifs would be discredited
0: mm-hmm.
1: lately he's gotten better he did write a forward to my book which i appreciated but for a long time it was you know bob would you please shut up mm-hmm. it was basically the attitude and still i get a lot of that getting involved with this stuff is not a career enhancing move
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely I think um I think you mentioned I heard you talking in a podcast about working Latin America do you think it's I mean I, we talked about this a little bit ago but it is very much cultural but I feel that this work and it will be very well accepted in you know when my family's from Mexico and Mexico and because this is what we're when we grew, grew up on you know there's these ideas are like you know, nothing out of the ordinary, but I'm wondering if you've noticed, if you've been able to work with folks in, in other countries that, that are just accepting and open to this without a question.
1: Mm-hmm. We're the worst in America and Europe. We're the absolute worst I've found on the planet. I have this wonderful friend I work with sometimes in Mexico. And she said, I don't know what you Yankees are so uptight about. Down here, this stuff's as common as tacos.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: The people (laughs) in Brazil, I think, are leading the world. The spiritist organizations, there are over 50 psychiatric hospitals that are organized by spiritists and have healing groups that work with entities or whatever you want to call them as part of the psychiatric care. And the spiritist understanding, based on the work of Allan Kardec and many, many, many great healers, it it's really has something to teach the West. And of course, in our Eurocentric arrogance, we ignore it. <laughs> it's really gets my wife who's Korean. There's an amazing shamanic tradition in Korea, which is led by women. It's almost all women, it's like 5,000 years old. They know how to deal with this. It, you know, many I've, I've worked with people in North Africa. Lots, lots and lots of places, Pakistan, you know, China, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you think, um, and you know, just to, to wrap things up here, do you think the field of psychotherapy in general, do you think they're moving closer to that, the, the you know, understanding or incorporating spirit, spirituality, energy, where do you see this, you know, our, our field going in regards to the, these types of, of, of things?
1: Oh, I wish I could be more optimistic. <laughs>
0: yeah, but yeah. I
1: hope so. You know, coming from a background of major trauma, I don't think people heal from major trauma until they can find some spiritual basis for their lives. And much psychotherapy still doesn't let spirituality in the door of the of the office. And it's really 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 easy. One thing that I was realizing lately, you, it's perfectly acceptable to talk about meditation. You know, there's mindfulness assisted everything now. But if you talk about prayer, people look at you as though you're some kind of weirdo. And they want you to shut up or go, or that's not appropriate in the consulting room. And I think one of the reasons IFS is so successful, and it's ridiculously successful right now is because it is sort of repackaged, basically spiritual concepts in a way that's acceptable to the rational mind, the rational Western mind. I think that's one reason why the 12 steps do so well. They're talking about a higher power instead of talking about God, allows some kind of spiritual connection or deep sense of meaning to people who are absolute atheists. So I, I really hope this gets back in Uh, The mix and I don't know
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) well IFS I mean I've been yeah it's very very popular right now and and I think it's because of it almost allows a bridge you know into the spirit world for for those therapists that that want to do more of that um, within the you know within our our mental health traditional mental health treatment practice but um, but yeah there's a I mean I've been on the lottery system for Two years and nothing. I, I've just got in another another signed up for another lottery. But yeah, it's it's very, very popular. <laughs> yeah,
1: the last time I checked yeah. was awaiting us to 10,000 for the oh.
0: level one training. Yeah. 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 So so hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to access <laughs> that that training soon. But yeah, well, thank you so much for, for sharing today sharing with with my community with with the folks that listen to my podcast thank you so much um any closing remarks anything that you feel um you know just to to close this 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 podcast for today any last words or messages okay
1: yeah um we humans are astoundingly ignorant (laughs) <laughs> We're aware of maybe 0.001% of the electromagnetic spectrum, which is what 0.001% of what is. We know almost nothing. And we should take any certainties we have. You know, they're, they're not certain. We should just have a, have a great deal of humility. And I think when I sit with people, I realize everybody I sit with, even if I'm with them for years, remains a great mystery and this used to frustrate my rational mind but now i've come to take delight in that more and more and just the great depth of mystery that's around us all all the time
0: beautiful thank you so much bob for sharing today with us I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope that you found it healing and nourishing to your mind and soul. If there's a friend that you think would benefit from listening to this information, please share it, share about our podcast. If you feel called to, please leave us a review as this really, really helps boost our presence here in Apple Podcasts and it makes it easier for others to find us. To stay up to date on new episode releases and special events and projects that I'm working on, you can follow us on Instagram at Inner Healing Paths Podcast. And you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to my website, which is rosachetilcsw.com. And I will include this information and links in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again next time.